Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. morning movement church if you got your bibles uh, you can pull them out uh, although it won't be um, the bibles underneath your seats today we're in the niv new international version so you've got your bible app you can pull that out in the top right there should be a little button that you can change the translation scroll down hit niv and uh, you'll be able to find that there first corinthians 12 and we'll be reading through first corinthians 13 verse 4 well if you've been here for the last few weeks you know that we're going through a series um, I forgot the name, but it has Listen and Move in it, and it's about the Holy Spirit. And uh, really excited about that. Yeah, I see, I got it. Um, and uh, I'm really excited because we've had some applications some weeks, and, and last week we asked people to text in um, during service what they feel like the Holy Spirit is leading them to do, or, or think, or believe, or just where the Holy Spirit is leading them. And I want to share some of the things that God has put on people's hearts in our church um, over the last last week. Um, I'm just going to read them. First Corinthians, well, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, the Holy Spirit has put the words bold intentionality on my heart, along with a few names of people in my life who could use <clears throat> an intentional friend. I'm trying to figure out what that means, but I've already seen awesome things come from reaching out to them. Another person said, the Holy Spirit is telling me to stop drinking alcohol. Another person said that God is telling me to pray more. Another person said the Holy Spirit is leading me to get rid of bitterness and forgive those that have hurt me. Another person said that the Holy Spirit is calling me to experience God in the mundane and not forget him when it feels, when life feels unexciting. Another person said the Holy Spirit has shown our addiction to social media and screens to numb life and our boredom or pain. We want to replace that time with scripture, prayer, and spiritual disciplines. The Holy Spirit has led me to pray with my spouse every day, and it's growing us. And lastly, the Holy Spirit has called me to be baptized. God is doing this in our church. God loves you. He has a plan for you, and more importantly, for us. And I was so encouraged this week because... All of these things align with God's word. This is truth. And and the Holy Spirit, as Mark has already talked about in the series, guides us into all truth. And it's just awesome to see the ways that God is humbling people, that God is leading them to repentance, that he's leading them to truth, that he's growing people's marriages. And it's evidenced in, in, in what you guys have been sharing. Uh, let me just pray for us, and let me just give a brief overview. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 through 13, 4. This has got chuck full of stuff about a topic that we don't generally talk about in the church, and that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's great. 
We believe that they still exist in all of their representations. People have misused them before, so then people are afraid of them. People have abused them before in the positive sense, and then people are afraid of them. We don't have time today to go through all of the implications, all of the gifts individually. We're going to do more of a general flyover of the chapter, and so I'm just setting that table because many of us will have maybe more questions than answers at the end of this message, but stay with me. I, I hope and I pray that you see uh, the overall picture. God help us to do this this morning and help us to see clearly the things that we need to see, believe boldly the things that we need to believe, and for us to obey uh, those things that we both need to see and believe. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Concerning spiritual gifts, 12 verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit... Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Two things to note right off the back. Number one, it's a gift. Therefore, you cannot earn it, nor can you produce it out of your own effort. The second thing is, Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, what I'm going to tell you right after this is what you have to know about this subject. He says, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. In other words, you must be a believer in Jesus to actually receive and to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Nobody that isn't a Christian has these. He goes on, uh, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are at work in one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form just one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we are all given the one Holy Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of smell be? Of hearing, I should say. Uh, if, if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in the fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to that parts that should have 
uh, that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that every that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing or helping of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I even have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I boast, and I uh, give all of my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. For many of us, this message today, like I said, might leave more questions than answers on the table. And that's cool. You can go to passages like Romans 12 or Ephesians 4. And then obviously this passage to learn more about the gifts of the Spirit. But like I said, you need to know that we believe that these gifts exist today. And that God uses them for our growth and for the glory of God. And so let's just start from the beginning. And when I say beginning, I don't mean the beginning of this chapter, even the beginning of this book. I mean the beginning, beginning in creation, because I think we need to understand a little bit of how the Holy Spirit has formed and moved in life and creation and in the lives of believers for us to understand what is so significant about the gifts of the Spirit. So in Genesis, we get these passages talking about the creation of man and woman. And what happens is that God forms them from the dust, but they are not alive until God breathes his ruach, which is the Hebrew word for spirit, into their lives. And the funny thing about this word ruach is that it's also the same word for wind. In other words, God's Holy Spirit is constantly there and you can feel its effects and its presence, but you cannot see it. And so this also tells us that every human being is born physically alive, but spiritually dead. God has to come in to your life. And we all know the stories. We all know the story of Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God. And because God is holy, Holy Spirit, God cannot dwell with sinful humanity in perfection like that. And so God moves them out of the place where God lives in the garden and they become exiles. But God is not done with them. He loves them dearly. He loves us dearly. And so he creates ways until Jesus to be in relationship with his people. The first thing is that Israelites become nomads. And so they move all over the place and God tells them to build a tabernacle. You could think of the tabernacle as the house of God. In the center was this place called the Holy of Holies. God's Shekinah glory, the, the heartbeat of God lived in the center. And when Israelite, the Israelites moved in tents, guess where God lived? In a tent at the center of his people. But see, there is still the separation And then when the Israelite people, when God's people became sedentary and they lived in houses as they developed the land, where did God live? And basically the sedentary version of the tabernacle, the temple, God lives around his people again. And then what happens? 
Jesus, the incarnation of God, God moving into the neighborhood comes and he says, what about himself? I am the temple of God. Do you understand the bold claim that that is? The presence of God dwells in my body. And then Jesus dies. He resurrects from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes to his people through his spirit at a thing called Pentecost. Pentecost happens at the beginning of Acts. And what do we see? We see the spirit of God that has been unleashed from the temple during Jesus's crucifixion dwell on and in his people. And then the New Testament tells us what? What does it say about the church? The church becomes the temple of God, the very place that God's presence dwells. And then through eternity in Revelation, we see that there's coming a time where God will, because of the work of Jesus, dwell perfectly with his people in his presence again. And we are firmly set in the church age, which means that because we have been gifted the Holy Spirit, we now have gifts of the Holy Spirit where we show the world and the church and each other who God is like. And this is what the spiritual gifts are. They are physical and spiritual manifestations of God's very presence in the life of a believer for the strengthening of the church and the glory of God. It is God manifesting himself through you because he has taken residence in you and then we are called to decorate the world with his presence. And God invites us into this. But with every good gift that human beings receive from God, we love to take it and just mangle it. And so the Corinthian church, they've done this with almost everything. In 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, Paul is simply criticizing the church because they have made some spiritual leaders more important than others. They've created these classes. It's not about that. Right before this passage, they are being criticized, the Corinthian church, not just for being imperfect, but elevating the rich over the poor in even the Lord's Supper. And then you get to this passage and Paul, I mean, they must've had so many problems. We're nothing like them. And, uh, and he criticizes them because they happen to be elevating spiritual gifts that some people have over others. They're making some people more spiritual, some people less, and they've created all these factions. They've divided them, but a misuse doesn't ruin a proper use. I could use a knife to nourish my body and slice through bread that then will make me stronger, but I can also use that knife to murder. And so some people look at the church, they go, the gifts have been misused, therefore they don't exist. And some overuse them and misuse them in the wrong way. And then the other side has an argument against that. But today, Paul advocates for a third way. He says, your spiritual gifts are important. Your spiritual gifts exist, but they are not about you. They're not about you. Which begs the question, well, what are they about and who are they about? And I'm glad you asked because I think within the context of this passage, they're about at least three things, Paul says. First, they're about the unity of the church. Second, they're about the strengthening of that church. And thirdly, most importantly, they're about the glory of God. They are from God. 
in the people of God for the glory of God and for the strengthening of his church. And I mean, just think about this. This is such an invitation. In fact, this is why, as Mark has mentioned before, Jesus says, you will do greater things than me because while Jesus was God, he was only one place physically at a time, but instead he peppers all of his people with his spirit and his gifts so they can take that message to the end of the world. So first, the gifts are for the unity of the church. If you look at verse 12, Paul says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, <clears throat> but of many. And then he reiterates this in 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You can obviously see that Paul is concerned with oneness or unity, and he also uses specific language like a body. I want you guys to get this here. The church is not an institution, and when we think it is an institution, we treat people in that body institutionally. We will lop off people that we don't think are that important. We will not care for others that we think don't have much to give. We will not take care of the broken because they're getting in the way of our mission. But if you are a body, you are a living organism, and you can live disconnected from a sibling or even your friends from back in high school, but you have no choice to be a part of the body. You can't just be lopped off. And therefore, you can't also escape the consequences of the body not being a body. You cannot ex uh, escape the consequences of not participating in the body. If you are in the church, you have a role to play no matter who you are. You have an important function and there are consequences for me if you don't participate. And there are consequences for you if you do not participate. Because whether you like it or not, if you claim the name of Jesus, you are part of the living body of Christ. And so the text says that God distributes and he determines out of his benevolent love the gifts as if they are muscles and bones and connective tissue and cartilage in the body that all need to come together and work together for unity and for growth. And what's been happening in the Corinthian church is because they have elevated ones over the others is it has completely divided people. It has set people against each other. And the perfect example of that is a football team. And when we have the AFC and NFC championship games today, two weeks, there's the Super Bowl. And just think about it. When was the last time you saw a commercial with the offensive lineman on it? Even if you don't watch football, you know that the greatest source of advertisement is by advertising one position. And who, who's that position? We all know what it is. All right, first service actually responded. It's the quarterback. You already know that anyway, so it's okay. Um, but it's the quarterback. Why is it the quarterback? He gets all the glory. People think that the, the whole game rests on his shoulders. Well, newsflash, it doesn't. If he, if you could be the MVP, but if you don't have an offensive line, you're going to be garbage. You could be an unbelievable uh, a skill player on, on, on defense, and if your offense can't score points, you can't win the game and achieve that goal. And yet, we glorify one position, and this is what we also tend to do in the church. And Paul knows this. So using the body language, he actually says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And he cannot, the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. 
On every, any given Sunday or Saturday or Friday, there's like up to 46 guys on a football team that have to participate together in unison to achieve their goal. And so many of those vital pieces to a win never even get recognized. And that's okay because so many of them play for the team. And Paul says we have different gifts, but the same spirit, different service, but the same Lord, different working, but the same God at work. And this is why I love football. It's the ultimate team sport. No sport requires so much of so many. And so it is in the church. Every part of the team matters. And the only thing that matters is the, the, the emblem on the front of your jersey and the name on the back only represents who you are as an individual, but you never play for that name. In fact, my coach in college would always say before we walk out of the locker room, it's about the team, the team, the team. And if he ever got a sniff, it was about you. You would be yanked so fast you would learn your lesson the first time. And in Corinth, the things that are meant to unify, the the front of the jersey are actually dividing them because they're so concerned about their own glory. And we have to be careful about this too because we live in what philosophers call the age of uh, individual expressionism. Everything is about me and how I can express my identity in the world. This is about me. Celebrate me. Worship me. Tell me I'm so great. And Paul says, this is not primarily about individuals, although you are loved by God. This is about the church. And think about it. (laughs) When people generally say like, this is a great church in our culture today, what are they talking about? Maybe the church has an unbelievable building. Maybe the church has a charismatic pastor. Maybe the church has an awesome worship team. And those are the things that they identify with. It's individual components of the church and individuals as individuals never define the church as a whole. You cannot simply do your relationship with God. And this is the thing that worries me about just the technological age that we're in as far as it concerns the church. You know, over COVID, we had to produce videos and that was great. And we did what we had to do. But now so many people think that it's just okay to watch church online and they feel like they're a part of the church. You can't be a part of a church if the only thing that you do is watch online. Why? Because you might be the hand, but now you're cut off from your elbow and the rest of your upper arm, and you have no blood flow. There's no real life coming into your church into your life because you cannot live severed from the body of Christ. And so if we don't live in unity, what happens to the church? It's just a spectator sport. We're just here to show up and show up and watch the spectacle. Because the real spiritual people are the ones that are on stage. That's garbage. And it's not true. There are spiritual giants in this room that are far holier than I, but you don't see them. So what does Paul say? He says, God has placed each person's gift just how he wants them to be. But still, it's one body, one church, oneness matters, and we can only grow so much as we grow together. But not only is it about unity, Paul says. Paul says that because we are a body, we're also about strengthening one another. 
Verse 21, Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with a special modesty. What's Paul talking about? Think about your body, the parts I never see of you and the parts you never see of me that we have shame about are actually the only parts in our body that produce new life into the world. That the things that we don't see, the people that live in prayer for this church, the people that are doing things that God calls us to do that we cannot see are the ones that are producing life into our church, but we cover them. We cannot see them. And that's what Paul is saying. Think about how, how unbelievable that imagery is. So he's saying we need all of the parts of the body to be the body, but we also need all the parts to help strengthen the body. I have gotten injured a bunch, not only in my football career, but just after football. And it's amazing to me how every single time different parts of my body get injured, how it doesn't actually have to do with the pain of where it is. I've hurt my shoulder because of pack deficiencies and deficiencies in my back. I've hurt my back and then go, go get it checked out and have to do rehab. And the reason that I, my back's hurting is because I have defi- deficiencies in my anterior and posterior chains and my legs. One is unbalanced. There's strength somewhere where there's weakness another place. I've hurt my knee because of those things. I've hurt my back again because my hip flexors have been tight or too weak. And every time I find myself doing these rehab exercises and I actually doesn't feel like it relates in any way to the place I actually injured. And it's a perfect example of just how connected the body is. Paul says, if one part suffers, the whole body suffers. In other words, we need every part to be strong for the body to be strong. And similarly, when the church is unbalanced in its growth, when it celebrates some gifts over the other, it isn't healthy. How weak would our body be if we just had one or two parts or even five parts that were healthy and everything else was weak? And, and, and so many times today, our churches are made up of a voice that could win American Idol and the rest of the body is a skeleton. It's emaciated because we have so encouraged the church to just be a place to show up and watch. That's not what God wants. But when people discover their gifts, you don't become Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're still imperfect, but we grow together as a body. What are your gifts? Do you know them? Have you prayed about them? Have you asked God to reveal them in you? Are you in community? People that can affirm those gifts or guide you in a different direction about those gifts. We all have faith. But did you know that faith is actually one of the spiritual gifts that God can give us spiritual, spiritual natural ability to trust his word with an extra measure? I have a friend named Keith who Ironically, was at Wheaton with me. I came in just becoming a Christian. He had been a Christian since he was a kid, and he was walking away from the Lord in his faith. And if you would have asked me who uh, would still be walking away from the Lord after college, I would have told you Keith. And he was my roommate in college, so we often would have these debates back and forth as he would challenge my positions on what I believed about God and me being young and zealous in my faith. And I would fight back and 
few years after college, I got a call from Keith and he was just telling me about all the ways that God had completely transformed his life from being a man of bitterness and anger to a man of hope and uh, peace and gentleness. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but God had put the gift of faith into his life. And he just started seeing God work in his life. And I remember he was working at Brassfield and Gorey, one of the largest construction companies on the East Coast, where his dad was one of the top, uh, top executives in the company. And he had this wonderful job that was paying him all this money. And God started to tug on his heartstrings to join ministry, to give up all of those financial benefits and become a pastor. And God doesn't call everyone for that, but he called Keith. And Keith, without even a second thought, walked into his dad's office, where he was supposed to replace him and said, Dad... I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go pursue ministry full time. And so he did. And now he's a pastor. And that faith just continued, that supernatural gift of faith. And I remember one story where he was driving down the road in his F-150 and he, he met a woman who was on the side of the road that had her children with her. And uh, he just stopped. He just felt like the Lord said, stop and ask her what her needs are. And so he did. And uh, she had enough to scrape together an apartment. She had a decent amount to feed her family, although not quite enough. And he's just like, I just want to serve your needs. And uh, little did he know she, she didn't have any type of transportation that could get her kids to school, get her to the grocery store. And if you know anything about Atlanta, it's very spread out. It's very hard to walk. And he felt the spirit of the Lord shove him and say, give her your truck. He's like, the one I'm driving in, give her your truck. So he got out, handed her the keys. They went and made it official and he gave her a truck. He now has no transportation. Now, don't hear what I'm about to say as this will happen to you if you do this. Because I think you know where I'm going. Because the next day, someone had heard that he didn't have a truck. And they gifted him their truck. And it was six years newer, had way less miles on it. And so he didn't stop. Not because of the truck, but his faith. There was another time where he was just participating in the life of his church. And he was praying through scripture. And he said, God, you care for the orphan and the widow. Give me an opportunity this week to care for the orphan and the widow. And uh, he met another woman that was an immigrant, had three kids already. They were dirt poor. They were about to have their fourth kid, and they couldn't afford it. And Keith and his wife, Mackenzie, went to that family and said, we'll take care of your child. We, we will adopt them. Don't do anything. Don't abort the baby. Don't do these things. And tragically, even after they presented that opportunity. The mom took it into her own hands and that child is no longer with us, but Keith reached out in utter faith. And that's just one person. And every time I would get together with Keith, I'd be like, tell me what God's doing in your life. Tell me what God is moving in your heart. Show me how you're like him. And every time he would tell me different things, it was never about Keith. And it was always this radical obedience that it could only come from a special measure of faith. There are people in our church that praise God, have the gift of administration, and they do so many things that I would have no idea what to do. And if I tried to do them, we probably wouldn't be here because I would bankrupt the church. I just, I, I don't understand spreadsheets, never have, pay a person to do my taxes, keep me as far away from those things. But they have the gift of administration that helps strengthen the church. I've met so many of you in our church that have the gift of hospitality. And I don't mean just being hospitable. I mean supernaturally making me and my family feel that the presence of Christ is in your house because of how hospitable you are. 
I've seen people in our church and others use prophetic gifts where they're able to, with sternness, call people gently back to repentance, to the truth, to the gospel. I've met people with the gift of discerning spirits that are able to pull out lies from truth, that are also able to discern manipulative people versus non-manipulative people. I know people that lead as Jesus led. They get underneath people and they serve the people that they live, they, that they lead. They, 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 they are Christ to them. They lift them up. They celebrate them. They cheer them on in a special measure. But the bottom line is that every single Christian is in ministry through the church. Nobody is merely a consumer, or at least it's not supposed to be. But every, everyone is supposed to be a distributor of goods not a consumer. When you walk in this church, you got something to give. And now we see how we strengthen the church. When I look at those people and the gifts that God has given them, it makes me worship Jesus more. And there's so much freedom here. You know, there's just this pressure from the world. You got to be this. You got to do that. You got to build your identity. And this text says, no, you just got to know your gift and exercise that gift. And there's freedom there. Why? Because as you do your gift or gifts, there's no reason to compare. There's no reason to envy. There's no reason to be discouraged because you get to celebrate those gifts as if they are your own. Because they are your own. When you operate in your gift and I operate in my gift, and you operate in your gift and you operate in your gift, I have your gifts. (laughs) We are The body of Christ. Everything that I need, you have. Everything that you need, you have. And if you're connected, if we are strengthening each other, I become strong when you become strong. But you got to show up. And you got to bring something to God's table. You are not called to ride the bus and spectate. Do you see what this passage is saying? The church is not Sunday morning. The church is not giving. It's not serving on a volunteer team. It's not even being a part of a group. The church is us. We are the church. You are the church as I am the church. And when we are together, we can actually strengthen each other with the gifts that God has given us. It is not an institution. It is a body. And when we do these things in unity, we become stronger. Do you know, child of God, that you have gifts? And I don't mean talents. I mean literal manifestations of God's presence in and then throughout your life to serve each other. But you won't know them until you start what Paul says, serving, giving, working in the church. Nick Saban has probably the greatest college football coach of all time in his famous phrase, and it's written as the crimson tide go out there hall to get onto the field. It just says, do your job. Because the best way that football teams operate is if you know what you are gifted at and you do that and you trust your brother on each side of you to do their job, then you can be a force for winning the game. And in the church, all you got to know 
This isn't to exempt you from all of the things, but all you got to know is that you have a job to play and you trust that your brother and sister is doing their job. And in unity, you run the race with endurance, with your eyes fixed on Jesus together. And how do we figure them out? You can't figure them out individually. You got to ask, you got to seek, you got to pray. Then you got to be in community and they'll affirm your gifts or they'll course correct something if you think that's your gift and it's not your gift. And eventually you start refining it and you're not going to be perfect at it right away. You got to work it into your life. You got to work it out into the church. And eventually it becomes clear, God, you've given me these gifts and I'm going to use them for you. And the unity and the strength of the church really is the functional goal of God in our lives. But think about the even greater goal, which is lastly, the glory of God. If you look at the beginning of chapter 13, you'll see Paul talk specifically about this as it relates to the gifts. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can even move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In verse 12, Paul uses the name of God in different ways, 21 times in 31 verses. And then you turn to 13. And what is Jesus about? He says, all of the law can be summed up in this, love God and love each other, all of the law. And so he goes, even if you know your gifts, but you use them to celebrate yourself, to boast in yourself, to be like, look at me. I'm a great teacher. I'm a great pastor. I'm a great giver. Look at all the money that I give. I'm awesome, merciful people. Look at all these people you, I'm helping. Paul says, it's nothing. Because how do we glorify God? We love people. And how do we love people? We love God. And how do we love God? We love people. It's this reciprocal relationship. But Paul says, if you make it about you, you are nothing, you gain nothing, and you make it about yourselves. And what does he compare that to? He compares it to your kid sitting in the kitchen and just banging on a metal pan till you rip your hair out because you're so annoyed. He says, if you're prideful enough to make these things of God about yourself, you're just annoying. You're clanging symbol. You go, look at me, God. I'm great. You gave me these gifts. You might as well be a kid in your kitchen just slapping away on that metal pot. In fact, I have a great example this week of people in our church that have done the exact opposite. And you have the power to do it too. In fact, many of you are operating your gifts already. There's a couple in our church, dearly love them. They're filled with the gift of mercy. The ability to empathize with others on a deeper level with compassion and words and action. And those with these gifts are able to care for those with deep empathy, especially those struggling. And God gave them a vision many years ago, almost 30 years ago, that they would create a place for women that are struggling, that have been battered, that are in a bad way, that they'd create a homestead where they could learn to work and have dignity and provide them housing and food and all these things. 
And almost 30 years later, last year, they found a place. They finally purchased some land. And they're making this vision happen as they have already been merciful in operating that gift their whole, whole lives. God made the big dream a reality. So I texted them this week. And I want you to hear just the few words that they had to say in response. I said, how's it going? And this was the response. God is already moving. We have the additional septic installed as well as started conversations with former, uh, a farmer who owns the land surrounding us that we want to buy. Many other things are happening as God promised they would starting back in the 1990s. Are you filled with the spirit enough to wait 30 years and trust God? And they go on. It is so exciting to recognize God actively moving and using us. Who would have imagined us? What an honor. They see God doing all of these things and they don't go, look at how great we are. We did the right things. We built the right finances to make this happen. Instead, their response is, holy cow, God is using me. What an honor that God would take someone as broken and frail as me and use me for his kingdom. What an honor. Is that our heart? That God would use us to share his gospel, his love, to serve people. It's not about you. It's about him. And then you worship him with everything you have that God would choose such a lowly sinner like me and say, I'm going to employ you. You are going to become my body. And this is why I get so frustrated when people in the church say, I haven't experienced God recently. Has someone been hospitable to you? Has someone spoken a prophetic word over your life? Has someone encouraged you? Has someone shown you mercy? That's God. And people go, Jesus isn't here in bodily form anymore. Yeah, right. Have you read this text? We are the body of Christ. Listen to that again. Jesus isn't here in the body. Really. Paul says, you are. We are. I need you. You need each other. I see Christ through you. His spirit has literally indwelled you. The Holy Spirit has made us the body of Christ. But could you imagine a church filled with gifts that people are using? I'll worship God for that. And look at Jesus' life. He's filled with love and compassion for others. And he loves us so much. He's so humble that he would put his own spirit in us. And Jesus lives his life to make enemies friends. He lives his life for unity. He calls a Jewish tax collector and a Jewish zealot that wanted to kill each other to be unified as disciples. And he doesn't just say love each other. He says, now you two are going together as missionaries for my name. That's unity. And then God is so humble that the very presence and the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the very death that he just endured. He says, I'm going to put that in my people. There is no sin that can overcome the victory that you have in your life because of Jesus. That's strength. (laughs) And then he says that you will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. How? By the spirit in the church as you help me grow and I hopefully help you grow together. 
That's glory. And that was Jesus' life. And we experience the presence of Jesus when we are present with each other with our gifts. So are you connected to the body? Are you giving your gifts? You'll experience no greater joy than that. Are you serving with your gifts? Are you working with your gifts? Are you doing your job for the team, the team, the team, for the name on the front of the jersey? I need you. We need you. The world needs you. Are you using your spiritual gifts to strengthen God's church for the name of Jesus and his glory? I need you. I need you. We need you. The world needs you. Heavenly Father, help us do this. By your spirit, we are desperate to become a more unified, a stronger, and a more beautiful picture of you. We are the body of Christ, filled with your spirit. Help us to act like it. Help us to believe it and help us to live it into the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.